In the fall of 2016, the Jacques Marche Museum of Tibetan Art organized a trip to India and Dharamsala. The itinerary included stops in Mumbai, Agra, Delhi, Varanasi, and Dharamsala, which is located in the upper reaches of the Congo Valley. It's the second winter capital of the Indian state of Himachal Pradesh, and also the headquarters for the Tibetan government in exile. Welcome to the second part of our podcast about this exotic trip. I'm Rudy Basich, an advisor here at the Jacques Barchet, and today I'll ask questions of board member Peg Harrington, who'd organized this tour, about her experience. But before we find out what colorful memories she has to reveal, I'd asked her what makes a Jacques Marche tour so unique. The trip is really open to anyone who has an interest in seeing an Asian country. I've traveled in Asia before, so I've been able, when we set up the trip, do pre-arrangements that reflect the interest of the people who are going on the trip and whatever needs they have ahead of time. We don't take more than 14 people because that's a group of people who can relate to each other and we're usually in a smaller bus or facility and it's easy to accommodate them in a variety of hotels and or in the activities of getting on and off a camel, riding uh, you know, an elephant, which is what we did in part of the days in India. And we have found that most of our travelers want to return and travel again. So that means something about their enjoyment of the trip and the different activities while we're there. So it's a little cozier. Oh, definitely cozier and very much arranged to accommodate our travelers. Whether someone has a food allergy or they can't get on and off a big bus, we've come up with solutions to that that we've worked in every country that we visited in to make it more comfortable for our travelers. Okay, Peg, so leaving Jaipur, you and your tripmates are driven to Agra via mini-coach. Well, when we left Jaipur and we saw the farmers, we saw the shepherds, and we saw huge uh, stonemason shops because they had taken the marble from the mountains and had it down on the road and were creating different shapes for different purchasers. So you go through miles of marble masonry ongoing right on the street. They have a number of businesses that keep them very effectively employed. The whole area looked well taken care of. And so it was good to be on the road flat to see life as it is today rather than just an old building (laughs) or a, a lovely hotel. So we were able to stop and have lunch along the way meet people, take pictures, and see a part of India that I don't think most people would see. They would fly from city to city. But that allowed us then to go into Agra. Agra is a big city. Looks like a big city. has big buildings. It has a lot of fancy hotels. It has a regular downtown and people selling on the streets and things that you can purchase and, and whatever. But then you go to the Red Fort, and you stand outside the Red Fort, because you have to get your ID checked and everything because they're concerned about security, about both the Red Fort and the Taj Mahal, which is inside. And the red walls are easily 12 feet high. So you go in and you you go through security and you go inside, and now you're in the outer courtyard of the Taj. 
and it's beautiful grass. It has four entries, northeast, south, and west, and the red brick kind of continues around. There are places to sit, greenery, and you approach one of the entrances to the Taj. And again, there were four entrances to the Taj, but everybody usually goes through the one entrance that brings them upon the front view of the Taj. And people stop at the door and go, because it's something they've seen pictures of, but it's something they've wanted to see because it is so unique and beautiful. One of the seven wonders of the world. And you come in that doorway, which is a little crowded because everybody wants to get in. And then you're on a large terrace to your right and your left. We took group pictures there of all of us in front of the Taj. (laughs) We were there early in the morning, so the light was beautiful and it wasn't so hot. And you then stepped down off the terrace and you walked into another square of grass and garden because right in front of the Taj, between the opening where we came in and the Taj, was a huge square garden in four squares and you could walk between them or among them and then you get up and you start to walk up the stairs to the Taj itself. And what are they growing in those gardens? A version of grass. (laughs) Oh, it's not flowers or... There are flowers around the edge. There are. And there are flowers in certain corners as you go up to the Taj. And there are flowers that grow in India. But it is green. And very often in India, you don't see green. But it is a grass that grows in that particular climate and temperature. And so you're looking at a white marble stone building that is absolutely beautiful. You've all seen pictures. But in the marble are inlay marble, but they're not. They're stones. They're emeralds, rubies, and sapphires, and they're inlaid into the stone all throughout. And that alone is just a beautiful thing. Oh, it's just in fact, a thought. in some stores, you can buy a piece of marble with the inlay in it, so it can come as a small dish or a center of a table. Or you could buy a whole chair or a table. or a, They sell very large pieces of That's this material. That's got to be expensive, though. Oh, yes. Even the small pieces are expensive. Yeah. But a number of the ladies <laughs> Rubies this time, and emeralds. Yeah. In marble. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. But you can buy a small piece so you have a memory. Right. You know, yeah, a little no. box or a little t- table or whatever. That's a beautiful thought. So you then go in and you walk inside. They tell you ahead of time. It's not symmetrically laid out because Shah Jahan had made this for his wife at the time of her death. And she was supposed to be the center of this beautiful homage to his wife. And she's been buried in the center because his plan was to build the white one for her and then build a connection link white on her side of the Ganges and black on his side and build a black marble temple there for his body Mm. and so they would be joined in death and their hands would connect over the river so when you go into the white one you see two bodies she's prominent he's to the side you walk around you see wonderful inlay marble a very special quiet place and everybody actually gets quiet when they go inside and they go around and they see and then they come out the other side and now you're walking on a platform-like surface on which the building was placed. So it's another square. This square behind us is green grass. This square is all marble because it is an area around that building. And then you can go to the back and you can see where the idea was for the black marble uh, building for him. And what happened was he died 25 years later. He'd been fighting with his son 
and his son refused to put the money into building the black building for his father across the river. So his sister worked on him and made him put the father in with the mother. So it's a family story. <laughs> yes, that was a big part of the tour, I would think. Well, uh, you must have stayed there a bit. Not really. No? I mean, we stayed there, I think, two nights. Probably equal to everything else that was going on. Did you do anything else in Agra? We saw the Pink City, as I mentioned before. We had the elephant safari in Agra, and mm. that's where we were going up to the Amber Fort, which was a gorgeous home on a hillside. It had been in a home for a series of Rajas and their family, and it's on the hillside because it captures the air from the high level, and it's cooler. And a lot of the space is open, but it's all stone filigree and stone cutouts, just gorgeous work. It's up a very big hill. So you go in down low and you get on your elephant at almost, at, not going to say sea level, but the equivalent of sea level next to this mountain. And you stand on the top of a concrete edge and you step onto the top of the elephant from this ledge. And you turn around and you sit down. So you're facing outward on a side of the elephant, and the driver and is on top of the head. Is there a saddle? How do you stay on the elephant? Yeah, there is elephant? a saddle, and you're <laughs> yeah. sitting on this side of the saddle. Wow. And so the elephant walks up <laughs> a very long walkway, which takes you in curved lines up the side of this mountain to the base of the Amber Fort Palace. So you're on the elephant for about a half an hour, and he's moving back and forth. You're talking to the guide who's driving the elephant, and then you get up and you have to get off. And again, when you get to the center of the entrance to the Amber Fort, there's another wall where you have to step off the elephant onto the wall. But people have to help you. <laughs> you know, they hold your yes, hand while yes, you're getting it up. Sense. But it, it's an exciting moment, and you all... I'm sure you have to mind the gap. Right, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you also, I mean, you'll see everybody taking pictures of everybody else on their elephant. Mm. So you wind mm. up with a lot of pictures. But the Amberfort is worth it, because you're looking down on the city, you're looking down on public parks, you're looking up, at another mountain that has the equivalent of the Chinese wall going up the side of the mountain because the outer rim of this city was a wall protecting it by going up and down the sides of the mountain. And you were closer to it when you were in this home right, really of the You really see Raj. it from there, yeah. And uh, we spent quite a bit of time in there because they took you throughout the whole palace. You saw the women's quarters and the men's quarters. You saw the children's quarters. You saw, uh, in this case, there were special adaptions because one of the Rajas was uh, handicapped. And so they had a moving chair for him. They changed the shape of the bedroom and the bathroom for him. And so even though it was originally built oh, well over 100 years ago, they had adaptions, if you had enough money, uh, for the handicap situation that mm. every person or any person could have in any amount of time. So that it was all very interesting to see because it had been maintained. It was a home, the separation of men and women, and the harem in another place. And the caste system. Yeah, no, and, yeah and the caste yeah. system as well. But it was just absolutely terrific. So from Agra, your group were driven to Varanasi. Varanasi used to be called Benares. Mm. It's the holy city. It's where people, Hindus from all over the world, but definitely from 
all over India travel, take a pilgrimage when they think they're old and they're going to die, to Varanasi because they want to be burned in the holy ghats right on the Ganges. So it's a very exciting city because it's actually very crowded. It has any number of people involved in every kind of business you would find in a city. All of the hotels are pretty far away from the Ganges, partially because of the crowded city and how difficult it is both to move around and to build new buildings. So we're staying in a lovely hotel, and then we take a bus, and we go about halfway down to the Ganges. And we get off the bus because the bus can't go through the little streets. Then we get on little bicycle carts. There was a man who was the driver who drove the bicycle, and there were two of us in a cart. And now we have a parade of carts going from this space down this very busy street where there are taxis and cars and bicycles and people running and people carrying things on their heads mm. and people sticking out from the businesses on the side of the road who were having breakfast in a business right on the side of the road or were doing their wash or were seeing a temple or there was a feeding station for people, indigent people, and they were lined up waiting to get breakfast. Mm. And So uh, it's really... Real life. A mix of old and new as well, it sounds like. Absolutely. And it's all working together. And and they just accept it and move on and whatever. For us, it was a little scary because, you know, it was very crowded and things were coming and going in both directions. But we really laughed because we got a tremendous experience of the Indian way or the Indian way of life and what was happening in the inner parts of the city. And must have seemed rather chaotic. Yes. The West and, and then uh, when we got down close to the Ganges and to the Ghats, we get off the bicycles and we now walk. And now you're surrounded by people. You're trying to walk down concrete steps that are wet so you don't want to slide or slip. There are people obviously trying to sell you stuff everywhere here, but there are also uh, young men who will help you down the stairs. One of them adopted me. And he took me by the hand and made sure I didn't fall. And I got all the way down the steps and he got me into the boat. And then he waved and he said, I'll see you later. <laughs> so we said, how is he going to ever find us in all of this? We go out onto the Ganges. You're out in the river in the boat beyond the people. So you can turn around and see the image of the steps, which you've seen in photographs. And you see the people bathing on the steps and you see people immersed in the river itself. And the boat was a skiff, or was it? did it have a roof? No roof. It was an open rowboat almost. Yeah. Yeah. It was not a barge in that it was flat. It was more like you sit down in it. And how many people did it sit? We had 14. Oh, so it was pretty big. Right, yeah, yeah and it yeah, was big. Yeah. And you're out, and you could see whatever was going on. And people in little boats came up and tried to sell you stuff. So you could do your shopping. How cool. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, peacefulness yeah. of the river. Yeah, um, that's an experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we took the boat from where all the people were bathing. The men were on one side, the women on the other. Sometimes they laid themselves out in a row, so you might have 10 men together. Almost almost like a dance. And then over here were the women. So when the women saw us and they were all hanging together holding each other's arms, they waved and smiled at us. So it, they're used to visitors and you get to see people doing a normal day's activity, but it's incredibly beautiful and moving, a very special experience. And you drive all the way down to the end of the Ghats. That's where they're burning the dead bodies. Mm. And they have wood stacked up in the streets, and, and they go through it every day. They ask you not to take pictures because it is a funeral. As you get to the end of the wharf area, from the boat, you could see the burning ghats. 
And you see them in various stages because on one street, there's a whole street lined with wood that they use for burning every day. Then you see one that's set up that isn't ready for anybody or is ready, but no one's there yet. And in the next one, you can see uh, the person wrapped in a white shroud laying on the wood. And then you see the next one in flames and in various stages of, because they burn the whole structure. So the body is immersed in the ash of the wood that they were burned on. And then they're taken and put into the Ganges right there. The ashes. The ashes. The ashes, yeah. 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 We left then and we went all the way back and we did the afternoon, but we came back at sunset and we went through the same thing, the bus ride, the walk and the bicycle ride and then the walk and we're down on the water. And my young man finds me again and he helps me again down the stairs. And we're out now in the same boat, in the same position, but the activities at night are different. There is some bathing going on. There's a lot more praying. You can hear the sounds of the prayers, and the lights lighted up in a very different way than the daylight. And they were having a fire ceremony. And even though we were on the boat, we could see all of the people gathered around the fire ceremony, and we could watch the dancers, the participants who were rising up and carrying fire into the air from the boat. So we got an experience of a cultural event just because we happen to be there on this particular day. And so seeing it at night is different than seeing it just during the day. And most people do two versions of it because was you see it so much. Was it a specific Hindu holiday? Yes. What was it that made you go a second time at night? Whose idea was that? When I was there in 1975, we went two times. And then I took my daughter twice because the views of the people, the views of the place are different and they bring different memories or feelings back to you. One of the things, I mean, everybody carries a camera, but there are some places that just impact you where you feel uh, that something special is going on or where you've been in a place where you say, I've been in a holy place, I've met a holy person. Those are adventures that we all seek, and you never know when it's going to happen to you. So the two views allow for kind of accepting and absorbing what you saw in the first place and now seeing it in a slightly different way to add color and interest to it. So now leaving Varanasi, okay. you uh, took a plane, I think, to the next yeah, destination. it's quite, I mean, we had been on the bus for two days because there was the easiest way to get from Udaipur to Jaipur and then from Jaipur to Agra and Varanasi. We took a plane from Varanasi to Delhi and we were in Delhi overnight that first time. And before we flew away, we visited Qutab Minar, which is like a national park and it's a Muslim holy place in the middle of Delhi. A lot of people come just because it's a park. It has great huge buildings of a certain shape that are cylindrical and they rise easily 20 or 25 feet. To a point? It has a curved point. Oh. And the other buildings were different than anything we'd seen because they come from another age in India and represent Hindu and Muslim beliefs, hmm. because that's when it was more balanced. Right, that in sounded India. like the the design would have been slightly more. Right. and there were many Muslim families there, so for yes. them it was action. And the place is beautiful. There's an iron rod that was 
created over a thousand years ago, and nobody knows how they did it or where they got the iron rod from, but it stands in the center of this very large open space. We had two experiences. There were a whole group of students who were in their freshman year of medical school in Delhi and were very interested in speaking with us. So we spent a lot of time speaking with them about education, about their education, what they wanted for India, and how they were going to school, where they came from. Almost all of them came from outside of Delhi. They were actively involved in getting an MD degree. Half of them were women. And we were very happy to see that. And so the girls really wanted to talk to our women. And there was a whole exchange about being a woman in America, being a woman in India, and what they could do with their lives and how to go forward. Mm. So we had a fantastically interesting conversation. But it's proof of the fact that we talked to people everywhere. And uh, people were responsive. We were very welcomed. We didn't feel any difficulty anywhere. And talking with the kids was fun and interesting. We also observed a Muslim family, which were two young families with grandpa and grandma. And they were all in the garb of Muslims, so it was obvious that they were. And they were playing on the side of a very green hill. And then they did what every family does when they go out for a joint. They took a family picture. So we're very busy watching them (laughs) get set up for a family picture. And the ladies were over here, and the men with the kids were over here, and Grandpa was over here. And they were laughing and happy in a family on a day off. And it's wonderful to see when we think about everything that we hear in this world about conditions today, that there are people who still can live peacefully together and participate in family activities without fear. So that's another reason why we travel, to see and get a feeling for what really is happening outside the propaganda. Is it true? Exactly. Yeah, right. And you'll find out on a good tour. Right. Yeah. And then, and then we went on to the Lotus Temple, which obviously is a beautiful Hindu temple surrounded by lotus, and Hanuman's tomb. And it's a monkey tomb. Hanuman. Yes, Hanuman. Yes, and yes. so they, you know, there's a whole set of activities there and things to see. Each park or place that you stop at really is different. They're not replicas of each other. And so you can say, oh, do you remember this or do you remember that when you're talking to each other later on? Because each one had a different impact on other people. And then the next morning, we flew to Dharamsala. Ah. So we leave you at the foot of the Himalayas till next month's podcast, where Peg will continue her eastern reveries up into Dharamsala, then back down to Delhi. For now, from the Jacques Marche Museum of Tibetan Art on Lighthouse Hill, overlooking historic Richmond Town on Staten Island, I'm Rudy Basich. Tashi Delek. <laughs>